Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Avasi Explore Show. On today's podcast, we have Brad Frankel, founder of the company Flugelbinder and champion for environmental sustainability and conservation. Brad shares his experience as a runner, conservationist, and advocate for sustainable business. We delve into a number of interesting topics today, from pushing through the infamous pain cave to finding adventure in your day-to-day life, or once-a-day exercise, as the case may be, to the inspiration behind his business, Flugelbinder. Ed and I really enjoyed speaking with Brad today, and as fellow adventure seekers, we are certain you will enjoy the conversation as well. Hey, Brad. Welcome to the Avasi Explore podcast. We're so glad to have you here today. Thank you. Good to be here. Just got back from my run just in time, so quite fitting. Oh, amazing. <laughs> How's your day going so far? Yeah, good. Obviously, all a bit strange everything that's happening in the world at the minute. So keeping busy, structuring my day, making sure I'm getting my training and outside time in. So yeah, um, doing strangely well at the moment. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, definitely ride that wave. That's, that's awesome. Um, so today we're really looking forward to, talk to you, talking to you about a number of topics, um, but primarily your love of running, your passion for travel and sustainability, as well as your business, Flugelbinder. We'll be engaging in a three-way conversation between you, myself, and Ed. Hey, guys. And we'll be... Hey. Ha- as we have a number of shared interests within the space of running and adventure. Um, so let's get going with your running background. Um, when did running really start becoming a big part of your life? Um, I've, I played football for about 20 years, uh, but I was just so many injuries, broken nose, eye socket, uh, knee, ankle, um, and runs were never really more than just the kind of 5K, just keep the body moving. And then probably about uh, about six, seven years ago now, uh, I signed up for my first half marathon um, to support a friend's mum's charity. And that was, I mean, really my biggest intro into it. Um, I just, the thought of a half marathon back then was just hell. <laughs> and then when <laughs> I finished, I said, I'm never doing that again. How people can do a full marathon, I just wouldn't have a clue. But yeah, that was my intro to running. Cool. And so what sort of changed your mind from the, how the hell could I ever do a marathon to, okay, I actually love running, running distance and, and miles, logging the miles? Um, I, asked, I was asked a question a while back and for me it's, do you go outside to run or do you run to go outside? And I think for me it's more an excuse to be outside. The thought of running on a treadmill for me is just, I wouldn't even entertain it. And it's about people for me. It's community. It's running outside in awesome places with people, whether you're in uh, a beautiful place or, or even not, even if you're just kind of hitting the tarmac in your local area, you just get to know people on a much different level. And I think you build some really strong relationships and awesome memories through it. Yeah, absolutely. And and sort of in that vein, um, are you part of a specific running community or are you mostly just run with friends here and there? What does that look like for you? Um, it's funny how they sort of transition over to becoming your friends because <laughs> mm-hmm. it starts off as a running club and then it's like, well, actually, I see these people more than I see my so-called real friends. <laughs> um, so it started with just a local running club for me, a club called Orion Harris. 
Um, Orion are one of the oldest clubs there, I think about 108 years old or something crazy. Um, and then in the last couple of years, I've joined Midnight Runners, uh, the London branch or crew. Very cool. Uh, yeah, when I was over living in London, uh, I'd run with the Midnight Runners a couple of times. They're a really fun bunch. And there's actually a, a crew of them in New York City as well which is fun. Yeah, it's, it's, that's what's also great about it, the sort of worldwide network. I'm hopefully due to be out in New York in July, and uh, I looked, and the day that I get in is the night that they run, so if time is work, <laughs> I might go for a little run out there. Awesome. Yeah, I think I think it's so cool how there is this global running community now more than ever, and you can travel to most places and find someone you know within that community which is which is pretty yeah, cool yeah it's really cool um so being that you do you live in london at the moment yeah yeah i'm based just out in east london essex so it's okay. great because i'm sort of 20 minutes half hour into town but then i've also got epping forest on my doorstep so my nice long sunday runs through the forest <laughs> yeah it's, that's amazing um do you prefer road running or trail running or does it kind of go back and forth for you yeah, it definitely goes back and forth. I love, generally I love the forest, but there's times where I just kind of, especially if I'm training for something, I just, I like that consistency. And if you've got a sort of nice, more sort of flatter bit of road or just a bit more of a less undulating path, um, I just prefer getting that bit of momentum. But yeah, I do certainly like my sort of long weekend runs out in the forest. Cool. What's, what's some of your, what are some of your favorite trails? Um, I mean, there's some beautiful ones out in Pembrokeshire, Snowdon, and up around that way, and the lakes, and over in um, St David's, the coastal path out there is probably one of my favourite spots. Um, I was out, I've been out there quite a lot, and just yeah, just when you hit that headland, and you've, for me, it's the extremities, the weather, you just kind of feel alive. You've got that noise of waves crashing into the cliffs. You can just just hear everything, um, feel the wind on your face. Yeah, I just love it out there. Amazing, yeah. That sounds, sounds lovely. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've been so, to a fair few of those places too, haven't we? We did the uh, race down in Pembrokeshire along the coastline, mm-hmm. which was, yeah, absolutely beautiful with a little bit of camping as well. Nice, yeah, yeah. it's great out there. A lot of fun. Such a nice area. Um, yeah, I think uh, in, endurance races does quite a few uh, races out in a lot of the places that you named and they're always super well organized and really wonderful community. Yeah. Uh, have you done a good number of both trail and road races or more of one than the other? Um, I haven't done that many really. I've done a couple of halves, um, just sort of, uh, two UK marathons, London and Brighton. Um, and then I did, uh, my first ultra last year, uh, which was, yeah, more trail out in Oxford, Swindon that way. Cool. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and how that went for you? Your ultra? <laughs> it was, I finished the marathon in Brighton and a friend of mine was watching who was, I was also doing the ultra with. And I, as I walked through, I said, no, no, not doing it. <laughs> There's <laughs> no way I could do that three times, um, or two and a half. And she said, no, you'll be fine. It's a completely different race. And she's right, it was. I mean, the first sort of 40K, it was all kind of familiar territory, felt okay. It was a beautiful day, and we just kind of took it in. She's done loads of them, so she knew what she was doing. We we didn't stop at any of the 
um, refreshment points. We just literally got our drinks and food. We kind of walked in and walked out. We didn't sit down and just kept moving. Mm-hmm. And then 40 to 50 was really exciting because it was new territory. And then we actually had a bigger sort of stop at 50 for about five minutes because some people would stay there and split the event over two days. And then 60 to 80 was just hell. It was just down. <laughs> it was, we were going up these kind of quiet, hilly, chalk uh, paths. The sun was really bright, shining on your face. You kind of couldn't really look anywhere. And my knee was hurting. And all I could hear was, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. Um, and I don't know how. I got to about 80. And then I saw one woman sort of seize up. She couldn't bend or straighten her legs. And her partner had to sort of, carrier over his shoulder and we just kind of hit this really weird sort of euphoric moment and we were running past people playing music singing I think we were in a little bit delusional Um, and it was brilliant (laughs) it was like 80 to 90 it was just probably the best part of the race and then it started getting dark and 90 to 100 was like oh my god this just needs to end and then we kept going it just our watches ended up clocking 110k Wow. And in the last uh, sort of half kilometre, we went through the wrong field. So we could see the finish line, but we couldn't get to it. So we had to turn back on ourselves. And by that point, I was just, yeah, I'm done. Get me home. Wow. <laughs> what, what a journey. What yeah, an experience. It was journey. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. And I was documenting quite a lot of it. And there's so many analogies for, I think, running a life. And Jerry, you go through those moments and you think you can't do it, but you get through it and the strength you build as a result of it. And you realise how much is in your head and what you tell yourself you can or can't do will happen. Um, Mm. So yeah, it was a a massive learning curve for me. And I, I go back to that quite a lot. So I remember how, how much I thought I couldn't do it and I was going to have to finish it, but I just kept going and just sort of learned, taught me just to sometimes forget about the finish line, just focus on that next step in front of you. Absolutely. Um, And I think as as someone who's done a couple of ultra marathons myself, I think it's quite amazing that you managed to make the 80 to 90 K some of the best part of the race. Cause often after you move past that territory of, um, or that unknown territory where you get further than you've ever gone before, often from there, it's like pain cave, pain cave, pain cave, and you don't really get out of that, <laughs> but it's really cool that you managed to do that. Um, no, it was definitely painful. I was literally, <laughs> by the last sort of 30, 40K, it was just, yeah, managing pain. I got to one stop and the guy, I was like, look, my knee is killing me. He's like, have you done this distance before? I said, no. He said, okay, well, we're just doing pain management now. Neurofin this stop, then paracetamol, then neurofin. <laughs> he said, just get through it. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. Um, yeah, it was. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I guess moving on now to to sort of the travel elements. We know you're a, you're a self-confessed travel addict. Um, and I wonder, where was your first ever trip? Can you recall? Um, first ever kind of solo trip was when I real- decided I was going to do marine biology at university. Um, and that was from me and my dad going to Egypt and me learning to dive out there and just sort of putting the two together of passion for biology and diving. Um, but yeah, first solo trip was a turtle conservation project over in Greece. Amazing. And what was that over a sort of a week long or, or a month project? How, how so, yeah, that was a month. Um, so we got there to the field site and there was literally a field probably about the size of half a football pitch. And then there was a tap coming out the center of the pitch and that was it. Um, we had to build the kitchen, build the toilets. And 
I was left with like the sort of basic £10 tent you'd get from like your local convenience store, <laughs> which got very hot very early in the morning. Mm-mm-mm. And was that with a group of people or your family? Um, so yeah, it was just a random group of people. I knew one person that was going out there, so I mm. miserably failed my A-levels. So I had to do a foundation year to get into the university that I wanted to um, and met some people through that course who were all kind of quite passionate towards conservation, um, hence studying marine biology. Um, and this guy was doing it, so I was like, yeah, you know what, sod it, I'll go and give it a go and spent a month out in Zakindos. That's absolutely awesome. And do you think that actually inspired your sort of travel bug and to, to continue traveling? Yeah, I think the travel bug, I think subconsciously started a lot earlier on. And I remember like when I was about five, six years old, my parents buying me a globe for Christmas. And I just remember like them pointing out where we were and I thought, damn, that's really small. Like that's a pretty big ball and we're just one tiny little dot there. I want to see the rest of what's out there. So I guess that kind of sort of stat inquisitiveness started then. But yeah, the Turtle Project was certainly a way to, an intro just to see how exciting, fun and adventurous sort of conservation and travel could be hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So I guess what was what's sort of an ideal travel trip for you? If you were, um, were going to head away, what would you what would you like to sort of have happen? Uh, I'm an active person, so I need to be somewhere where I can do stuff. Mm. I can't sit still for more than an hour or two. Um, so the, the thought of a all-inclusive package holiday where you sit in the hotel and don't leave for a week is my idea of hell (laughs) yeah um so yeah for me something with like really good access to like nice views whether it's mountain or beach um just some good adventures some good activities like quite physical be it surfing or running or muay thai or kayaking so some good adventure in there um quite busy i like a bit of sort of nightlife whether it's just sort of people watching a few beers and some nice food always got to be nice food in there for me um so yeah a kind of mixture of quite a few elements for me brings together that sort of perfect trip yeah that's awesome and have you got sort of a standout um adventure where you know you did have those elements come together where you you know you're meeting people you may have been figuring things out and and sort of being active yeah thailand's always i mean my sort of go-to really it's Mm. It ticks every box for me, um, and and when I'm out there, I'm up early. I sort of run to the gym. I can do some Muay Thai training for a couple of hours, go and have a massage when I'm done. So sort of get rid of all those niggles because um, it's pretty brutal. If, I don't know if you've trained Muay Thai before, but your shins and everything hurts after the first few sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm just sort of sitting there having breakfast by like ten o'clock, and already had the most amazing morning. Um, you can do some work for a few hours. Um, and then if I want to do some diving in the afternoon, I can go and do some scuba diving and, um, some nice trousers and some runs. There's just so much to do there, which is what I like. And it's really easy to organize. And the food, of course. The food is just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I mean, you pay what 10, 15 pounds for a pad thai in London and you pay 90 P out there and it tastes 10 times as good. <laughs> Authentic food. Yeah. Love it. Um, so I guess how do you how do you sort of bring that adventure mindset and sort of lifestyle to your daily life when you are in Essex? Um, yeah. Um, good question. Uh, <laughs> um, I think I'm fortunate because my work is travel, so I'm always thinking about travel, always thinking about these places. 
um, whether it's writing about them or working on things related to them. But I guess it's similar elements. It's still having that element of community. Um, so sort of meeting up with friends and family and people and having that social side, mm. having those adventures into my sort of daily and weekly schedules um, and awesome food. So it's just those sort of main components that I still bring to my day-to-day life that make me feel that I'm kind of always on the move and keeping busy. Amazing, yeah. Even now with the, with the times that we're in, I'm, I'm thinking of ways to just keep things varied and interesting. Um, even, yeah, the, the runs and the routes that you're going and just sort of integrating a little bit of hit as you're, as you're running um, or going down new trails, um, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I found a field behind me I didn't even know was there. <laughs> 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 and from a travel perspective just trying out like new recipes and new foods because we've got the time to do it so it's kind of like yeah you know what I think we've all sort of taken a step back because of what's happened and we're trying things that we wouldn't necessarily normally try absolutely yeah I think that's one of the it's sort of like what I was mentioned at the beginning I think one of the silver lines if linings if you could call it that of this time that we're in is you are forced to be a little bit more creative about the ways that you seek out adventure but also the ways that you spend time outside and finding routes that you've never found before or recipes um, just keeping things interesting um, and creativity is such a big part of that I'm also in a weird way kind of enjoying my runs more by not running <laughs> so mm-hmm. like just trails and places that I'm used to doing but just getting to points in them where I'm just stopping and walking and taking it in um obviously there's no events or things that I'm necessarily training to imminently that I need to sort of be looking at those times and metrics and things so it's just nice again just to sort of take that that moment just to start breathe enjoy and appreciate what's around you Absolutely. And I'm sort of curious, um, we've talked a lot about you as a runner, and I know that your other one of your other passions is sustainability and conservation. And I'm really curious about what role sustainability plays in your experience as a runner, um, and it, how or if you ever mix mix the two interests. Yeah, I think there's certain activities, outdoor activities that such as running, surfing, that just connect people to nature. And I think when you live and breathe and eat in those environments so much, you just appreciate them on another level. So when you see any negative impacts or detrimental things happening to them, you just feel like uh, you've got a responsibility and you become an ambassador to protect them. It's it's quite scary. I I was given a talk in a school about a month or so ago when we was allowed into schools and schools were there <laughs> and I, I spoke about my first experience of, of scuba diving and that was a trial in a swimming pool in Egypt and they had the equipment out and they were just asking if people wanted to give it a go so being the kind of adventurous gun home me I was like yeah I'll try it choked the second I got in but um, they gave it a go, and within sort of three four days I was an open water diver but it, it occurred to me then that I mean, if we continue on the trajectory that we were on, that actually diving for some of the next generation might literally just be in a swimming pool with virtual screens of coral reefs. And that was really scary. And I think that was a really kind of moment for me of reality that actually if we keep sort of having this negative impact on our sort of social environmental systems around us, that is going to be the case. So for me, whether it's from running, whether it's from my own sort of interests, um, they just kind of go hand in hand that, through that nature connection. 
Yeah, absolutely. And did was that moment that you were describing when you were learning how to dive sort of a moment, sort of like that aha moment that you were really interested in um, sustainability and conservation and really advocating um, for these things within the business world? Or did that sort of develop over time? Yeah, it came a lot later. Um, It was probably really only about five years ago, maybe. Um, Everything for us was just conservation focused. We would work with students that were focused into sort of gaining really good in situ experience, animal management, biodiversity, ecology, those areas. Um, and would just go and find some really awesome conservation projects all around the world. And it was as a result of that that we didn't even realize that we were ticking so many sustainability boxes that um, our friends said, guys, you should look at this accreditation, which is called B Corporations. I was like, okay, what's that about? And I was like, it's just businesses and organizations doing really good stuff. It's their, their sort of statement is using business as a force for good or their ethics and values. Um, and there's businesses from all different sectors. I mean, you've got Ben and Jerry's, you've got Ella's Kitchen, um, you've got uh, Proper Corn, um, there's some companies within Unilever, Pucker Herbal Teas, Innocent Smoothies. So it doesn't matter if you're making clothes like Patagonia or food or doing travel. It's just kind of doing business the right way, thinking about your kind of social, environmental and economic areas. Um, so I said just we were doing it anyway and we didn't even realise. We just didn't call it sustainability. For us, it more came under the conservation umbrella. Um, and the benefit of it then just made us realise and understand other things, made us think about the energy that we use and um, obviously the most sort of obvious and, and basic ones and from plastic bottles and cutlery and single-use plastic. So everywhere we go now, we've got our water bottles and our bamboo cutlery sets. And then you start thinking about the clothes that you buy. So it's a massive ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, yeah, it just kind of started with that reusable bottle about five, six years ago. Wow. And just to touch on the B Corp a little bit more. So um, how, how does it work? Are you part of a community? Do they Do they invite you to events or is it online? Or how do they sort of educate you as a business and individuals? um so really cool community um we certified in september 16 which was their first year they came over to the uk uh they've been over in america a lot longer i'm not sure the numbers at the moment but i think there's about three thousand plus globally about two three hundred in the uk a lot more going through the certification Mm -hmm. but you apply and you have to a quite a big in-depth questionnaire and then you get kind of appointed um, a representative who goes to all the documentation with you. So you look at how you operate within the business, uh, your governance, you look at how you impact your environment, you look at how you work with your suppliers and stakeholders and also your customers. Um, so all areas of the business and every decision that you you make becomes through a kind of B Corp lens. And mm. for me, it's just, it's so different to a way that let's say CSR, corporate social responsibility used to be, or an HR business. I mean, you could have a bank with thousands and thousands of people and there could be 10 people in an HR CSR team that are really passionate about local projects and the banks turn over hundreds of millions and they put tens of thousands into a local community, which is great. But they're the only, those 10 people might be the only people that really care about it. And when you go to a B Corp company and you're and you hear about them within the community and some of the things they're doing, which is incredible, and a lot of them relate to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. 
So you look at um, sustainable solutions and gender equality and inequalities and life on land, life below water. Um, and you just know straight away from the second you walk into them or talk to anyone within the business that that B Corp ethos runs through the, the, the entire company. Every employee knows about it. It's how they make almost every business decision. So it's an incredible networking community to be part of. Amazing. That's really, that's really interesting. And I think what I find really cool about that as well as someone who's more scientifically minded rather than business minded, I'll say, is that I think for a long time there was this idea that sustainability and conservation sort of really fell under the environmental science umbrella and it was for folks who were you know environmentalists and activists and all of this but I think it's so cool that um, it's becoming integrated into the business world and really these things have a role to play um, within that sector Um, and sort of on that in that vein I'm wondering how what advice you might have for businesses or entrepreneurs who might want to get involved um, with in this in this world of sustainable business well it's especially again everything that's happening at the moment i think it's really sort of opening people's eyes up to how we should be living and how we operate and it used to be quite frustrating sometimes in the Corp community because we would sit there talking about certain things and actually when you bring it back to basics it's just doing business the right way and just doing the way that doing it in a way that it should be done um, it's just honest, transparent ways of operating. It's not making something as cheap as possible, selling it for as much as possible. It's thinking about um, circular economy models and the impact that you have. And the the also the responsibility as a business. Let's take Patagonia, for example. I mean, they make clothes and they educate their customers about their fabrics and the colours and the warehouses they use and the gender equality and, and all those values that they have that they then educate their community about then obviously has that knock-on effect and I think anyone that's looking to go into it it's it's the only way in my opinion we should be operating and as you mentioned it's historically had a very environmentally aware environmental kind of hippie loving stereotype attached to it um, if you've not seen, there's a brilliant guy called Jonathan Pye who does these amazing sort of six, seven-minute rants. He's a journalist, mm-hmm. and and he talks about um, Extinction Rebellion, and um, he talks about a number of topics that really touch on these points, how these kind of stereotypes are just complete rubbish, um, and that sustainability is, is not only good for our planet and the way that we should be operating, but it's good for business, and, and people are aware of that now. Younger generations are be it through Attenborough or be it through Greta Thunberg, however they're aware of it, people are now aware. They're aware of their social environmental impact um, and the changes that they can they can have. So if businesses don't get on board, I think they'll lose out in the long run um, because people are certainly buying greener. And um, when you've got bigger organisations like Pucker, who got bought out by Unilever, and Innocent, who got bought out by Coca-Cola, um, you've then got the sort of big investment firms like BlackRock that turn around and make statements that B Corp is the way to go. Um, I mean, Unilever, I think, are the third biggest organisation in the world. And in line with the SDGs, they want all of their companies to be B Corps by 2030. So it's, in my opinion, the only way that we should be operating going forward. Very cool. And 
do you think, so what are sort of the, what do you foresee as the next, the, the things that folks can do in order to um, apply to be one of these B Corp businesses? Like what goes into that? Um, we'll start by <clears throat> just filling out the, um, they have a kind of a, a shorter questionnaire um, called the BIA, which is the Business Impact Assessment, I think, that they can do online. Um, and just get in touch with them. Um, by all means, reach out to me if you've got any questions, uh, if I can help. But, yeah, they're really helpful. And people, I'd be surprised if there isn't someone in your sector or in that community that isn't part of it. Um, as far as I'm aware, they cover so many different sectors already that I imagine they'll find a business that are doing it in their sector and then can use them to, um, as a, an example or reach out to them. Awesome. Um, so I guess moving on to your business now that we're, we're on that when we're on that topic, um, can you talk to us a little bit about Fugelbinder and, and what it is? Yeah, so it's it kind of sort of took the journey is very similar to the conversation we've just had. So it started with us from uh, a con- conversation, sorry, conservation perspective. Um, so me and my business partner Ian, we studied marine biology at Portsmouth, and then he became a lecturer um, in animal behaviour and ecology. And he just got really upset for his students. They would go on these trips that just weren't very good. Uh, again, exploiting the communities they were visiting. The companies were exploiting them by charging them an absolute fortune. And ultimately, they weren't getting the experience that they wanted. So he just always thought he could do it better. Um, and me and him got together with a big map on the wall and a few beers and thought we could take over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of ups and downs along that journey. And it's what started with conservation then turned into sustainability. That was my point. Uh, and we realized that put the travel and the trips aside for a moment that it's just those, it's that way of learning. It's experiential learning that can really create change. And if we were to go into schools and give talks around ocean plastics and biodiversity and marine ecosystems, are they going to change? Are they going to tell their parents to use another energy provider are they going to stop using plastic bags and bottles are they going to eat less meat i mean they might do some of them if we take them through that journey and they experience it themselves and have that that socio-emotional connection Mm. that's really where change happens and are there any Um, so for us oh sorry to interrupt go ahead no no go on i was just gonna say are there any sort of specific (laughs) examples um whilst you're out in your in your trips with flugel binder where you're where you are teaching the students? Yeah, so we're constantly making them aware. So we link all of our projects to specific sustainable development goals. So if we're in Sri Lanka, we'll look at life on land, uh, climate action, gender equality, similar to India. Um, If we're in Thailand, we look at life below water and climate action. And and then a lot of the time we bring it back to, to goal 12, which is responsible consumption and production. Because I think that's one of the biggest things that we can have an impact on here is getting them, getting us as Western consumers to think about our actions and thinking that when we buy something, that's almost us voting for something that we believe in. And if you're buying an ethical brand, if you're buying a B Corp brand, that that passively is still having an incredible positive impact. Um, so we're constantly sort of talking to them about it before they go, so they're aware of it, and then on the trip, dropping nuggets of information to make them aware. Mm-hmm. 
brilliant. And can you share sort of a, uh, or paint a picture, I guess, you know, of a memorable story from a trip where, you know, it's you've been in flow state and, and the students have been learning and it's, you know, it's just a, a brilliant experience. One that always comes to mind, um, I mean, there's two really. There's The first one was a young girl called Beth from a school in Dagenham. Um, for those who don't know Dagenham, it's out in East London, Essex Way, and it's uh, highest unemployment rate and lowest income per household. So it's quite a difficult area. And some of these students haven't been to Epping Forest, which is 20, 30 minutes away. They've never seen a cow or a sheep. Um, and we took them over to Greece on a turtle project. And the the journey she went on was incredible. And at first we asked, why do you want to go on the trip? And she said she wants to get a tan. And then at the end she made the most amazing <laughs> statement and she said, uh, I realize that the turtles need me more than I need my tan. <laughs> and for me, that was just like, I mean, that's what we want to do. We want to change people's behavior to get them to think about it. Um, another story that is kind of really close to my heart was a girl that was really shy. We, we felt that she was struggling quite a lot through the trip. And she she just blossomed in those eight, nine days, just seeing her come out of that her shell and again, you start thinking about the positive impact travel has, not only just on the environment, if it's done in the right way, but the, the impact it has on individuals and personal development. Mm. And she was incredible. She was out running with the teachers most mornings, but she'd never been in the sea. Now, being a turtle project, you don't necessarily need to be in the sea because a lot of the work we do is on land with their eggs and the nests. So we're up doing sort of really early morning surveys. But we were just really trying to get her into the sea to realize what she was missing out on and just create that connection to the ocean. And I've just got a picture of sort of silhouettes of about 15, 20 students in the background with the sun going down. You can see like hands up in the air and they're probably about a hundred meters away. And in the foreground, there's again, two silhouettes and everything's all blacked out. So it makes it even, even better. And you've got the teacher with this girl just gone into the sea and everyone cheering in the background and it was like nine days worth of work and it just what then was the icing on the cake for me was about two years later her messaging me telling me that she'd gone to Portsmouth to then study marine biology so it's just just think that experience that has completely changed her life and pathway and and who knows what she'll go on to do yeah that's incredible and also just extremely rewarding for you you must be really proud um so I guess just to flip it round, um, what have you learned from the students? Obviously, they're coming away with your with your company and, and learning lots and being inspired. But on a uh, on a personal level, what are you learning or have you learned from the students? I think we we forget the small stuff. Like we forget how 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 important new experiences are mm. when when you do things so much when you travel so much you. You forget how unique it is to be on a plane, to try different food, to meet and see people from different backgrounds and cultures. So when we go into schools and we ask them, okay, guys, what, what are you scared of or what are your concerns or what are you excited about? The strangest and weirdest stuff pops up. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that we take from it is that everyone's journey, I mean, they'll be on the same trip, but their journey is completely different. And, and for us, it's to to push people out of their comfort zone 
and to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and to give them the kind of tools and resources and and for us to learn the same um we learn so much from them and different perspectives and the way thing people look at things differently um is is always a learning curve every time we go on a program absolutely and i guess a lot of that is just listening to the students and actually you know taking a genuine interest in in their concerns but also their learnings and and just the sort of whole 360 view of a, of a trip um, absolutely and i think it's really cool as well that kids uh, how old are generally are the kids that you that are on your trips is it a range or yeah i mean they're generally i would say i mean mainly secondary and some college uh colleges we work with so generally sort of 16 to 24 cool yeah because i was gonna say i think it's so important that the next generation of, of of people have such a um reverence for the environment and enjoy being being outdoors and learning about different cultures um, and i'm wondering what are some ways that we can ensure that more kids more students more children get exposed to some of these incredible experiences um <clears throat> i think it's i mean like we do now it's just getting outdoors and appreciating outdoors, understanding how much we get from the outdoors. I mean, whether we look at and sort of not going too deep into like ecosystem services and businesses and the way that we operate, I mean, we can't survive without nature. And there's an amazing video that Harrison Ford um, presented in for Extinction Rebellion at one of the um, climate summits. And he said that nature doesn't need us, but we need nature. Mm. And as soon as people realize that, that it's present in our everyday lives from the fossil fuels we're burning to have lights, energy, water to fuel our cars, whether it's um, rare materials that we extract from mines that cause deforestation and reduce primate habitats in Africa to power our smartphone devices. As soon as we realize how connected we are um, and people will start to appreciate that even more, and then secondly, the benefits that we get from it, I mean, whether it's conscious or subconsciously, the, just looking at the color green, just being outside, what that does for us on a mental health perspective as well, lowers cortisol levels, reduces blood pressure, reduces stress and anxiety and depression. I mean, it's just a win-win-win. So if you're kind of spending that time out in nature and, and not destroying it or having a negative impact, it's only going to bring good things to everyone. Absolutely. And why do you think we've, you know, we've got caught up in whether it's the fast pace speed of life and, and not taking as, as much of an interest in nature, although there has been a, you know, a pivotal shift now, I think, because of the coronavirus, where people really are enjoying their hour outdoors and they're sort of consciously making an effort to go through, you know, a park or go for a run. Um, but up until that point, why do you think uh, it wasn't as at forefront? It's, it's really weird because I was thinking about this just on the run and because <clears throat> I heard something earlier, it was Wimbledon has been postponed and it's the only time it's ever happened since after World War Two. Mm. And I've always thought, not always, the last few years I've thought, I wonder what it would have been like to have been around then just because that community and sense of togetherness must have been incredible. I mean, you've just won the war, you've just everyone's sort of coming home yeah there's a lot of negativity and and deaths and obviously I can't imagine some of the stories that would have come out of it but 
some of the good things you hear in that togetherness almost is reflective of what's kind of happening now and people coming together and supporting each other in communities. Um, and I think that's it's so important in terms of where we're at at the moment. Um, and I've kind of lost where I'm going now. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, remind me of the question. I do this, I go off on massive tangents. <laughs> um, that why up until this point do you think we were sort oh, of well, caught up yeah. with our, our fast-paced lives and not sort of appreciating nature as, as much as we are now <laughs> so I think over that sort of those last 60-70 years um, I'm not good at maths but it's about that um, we just got caught up in consumerism um, you've sort of created this um, just Mr and Mrs Jones and or me what is it uh, what's the term they use I can't think now. Keep up with the Keeping Joneses. With the Joneses. Yep. Yeah, and everyone's looking for the bigger car and the bigger house and the nicer clothes. And people are now realising that actually that's not the key to happiness or success. Mm. And, but we just got so caught up in it. Social media and Instagram. I mean, the biggest followers and, or the biggest sort of profiles are just, excuse my friend, just morons. And you've got young people that are kind of <laughs> following these people, being influenced by them. I mean, they're called influencers. How scary is that? Um, and I think this has been a really incredible time for people to reset and hopefully reconnect and realize that actually it's just the simple things you need to be happy. And, you know, if you've got your health and you've got people around you and we're now more connected than we've ever been. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. we can do things at the moment that can keep us connected virtually. Um, but hopefully following that, people realize that, you know, what, you don't need to go and spend all the money on all those consumer pieces that you think might make you feel better mm. um actually just getting outside with your friends and family maybe having a fire on a really nice coastal path and a beer is all you need yeah absolutely no i couldn't agree more um i think the shiny object syndrome or whatever you want to call it is is slowly diminishing um and the sort of people are opting for experiences and actually um yeah chances where they connect with with new people or like-minded people um out in nature so yeah i completely respect what you're doing and uh you yeah. too one, you one final awesome question stuff. um whilst we're on flugelbinder um so as you know like as a fellow entrepreneur i'm always interested in sort of your learnings and, and some of the key takeaways you've had um what have they been since starting flugelbinder <laughs> what have the biggest learnings been mm. um I mean, they're just never ending. I mean, I think when you're doing something you're so passionate about and you're so committed to, just stopping is not even an option. Um, and it's, like I said, with the ultra running, it's whilst you've got the bigger picture and the end goal in sight, quite often it's it's just thinking about that next step in front of you mm. i'd say that's probably the biggest thing for me i can sometimes i'm a bit of a dreamer and i've got some really big goals and ambitions and ian's really great at leveling me out and we meet a really good compromise um so yeah for me it's just the biggest learning is just take one step at a time um you're working on those sort of big goals those big projects and you kind of don't really know where to start start at the beginning and just start with one step yeah brilliant yeah, I think for me as well, it's been like, I guess, patience, um, but also perseverance. You've got to be, you know, you've got to be calm with yourself and sort of trust yourself that things are going to pan out, but you can't rush it. Do you know what I mean? Like projects no. and ideas, they take time and energy and investment and it, and it, and it takes, uh, 
yeah often you can have these these crazy ideas you're like this is actually quite this is bigger than i thought it was <laughs> so you have yeah. to sort of rein it back slightly <laughs> yeah definitely um, awesome so yeah lynn's over to you yeah um so now we've now talked about quite a quite a few items we've talked about running we've talked about traveling we've talked about sustainability in your business um and so i'm wondering if you think that um any of these things running adventure travel being connected with the outdoors has the ability to change the world and to make this universe a better place to live in definitely <laughs> yeah 100% um when we go back to nature when we connect with people on a different level whether it's discussing issues and problems uh, be it a business level there's there's no sector or no area where it's not needed um there's some incredible stories and podcasts I've heard and and I've been in the corporate world and I know a lot of people that would think it's complete rubbish um, and that it needs to be dealt with in the boardroom and it needs to be formal and it needs to be corporate. Um, and there was a great, great podcast I listened to and it was talking about a merger between two huge international organisations. Um, and this was worth millions and millions of pounds and they couldn't come to an agreement. And the two CEOs said, come on, let's take this outside. And and not in the old fashioned sense. Uh, <laughs> and they were they were in South Africa and they went up into the South African bush and they spent a couple of days out in nature. Mm. And they didn't talk business. They spoke about their family, their values, what they enjoyed doing, just life. And they just realized how similar they were. And as a result of that came back and then said, you know what, we'll work everything else out. And I think once we realize how similar we all are, how connected we are all are, um, that then we can make sort of more unifying changes. Absolutely. Um, I think that's a wonderful story. I got goosebumps. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so to close things off, um, we have a question that we like to ask um, a number of our guests. And um, that is, what is one piece of advice that you would give to your 20-year-old self if you were to talk to him now? Hmm. What would I give to my 20-year-old self? Slow down and be patient. It will come. If you're that passionate about it and you want it that much, it will happen. And just let it take its own course. Amazing. Very good. Beautiful. Tough question. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little self-reflection. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, for coming on and, and engaging us with all your stories and, and conversations. Um, I think yeah, it's it's always interesting to to speak with people who are who are in it and and living in this space. Um, I think that the mix of running, sustainability, and entrepreneurship is a a really positive mix um and we look forward to to following your journey i know you've got a few exciting things on and um a few few trips that you're planning so yeah we look forward to to supporting you guys cool thank you very much and absolutely see you on the trail soon awesome sounds good beautiful right, take care cheers, guys till next care. time see ya bye bye thank you to brad today for joining us as a guest 
You can check him out on Instagram at Brad Frankel and read more about Flugelbinder at www.flugelbinder.co.uk. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, comment, and share the podcast amongst your friends and social network. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to sharing the next episode with you.